Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Dylan, the founder and CEO at Sleuth, and they discuss the challenges of creating developer tools that satisfy both developers and managers, lessons learned on setting clear expectations as a leader, and tips for facilitating strong two-way communication with your direct reports. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. You know, my daughter is, um, she's in college right now. She just started in the pandemic uh, for computer science. And um, what you've described, I've tried to tell her a million times. I'm like, just pick something that you're really passionate about and just write code for that. It doesn't have to be any good. You know, it doesn't even have to necessarily work, but like having a real goal that you want to build a thing for, you know, like you learn so much along the way, you know, and she's like, oh yeah, you know, and she, she, she wants to like build these video games and stuff. And she's done a little bit of that, but I think she's also like, well, I need to learn a lot first. And I'm like, oh man, you're just going to learn a lot, like teaching yourself and find out where your passions lie, you know? You'll be like, I don't ever want to do the design of the sprites and that should be somebody else, you know? But for me, it's, I don't know, the thing that you love. Did she get to watch you go out on your own and start this business? Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, actually I keep, I'm, I'm trying to get her as an intern, but you know, it's hard. They, they covet their summer. So like last summer she was like, oh, I don't know. It's a pandemic and I'm just starting. So I don't think so. Uh, and this summer, I, I I feel like I've got her dangling on the hook. You know, I'm like, we work in a pretty modern way, you know, like we're doing some pretty cool dev stuff here. I've got some amazing developers on the team that are like going to be willing to give you time and, and teach you some stuff. I'm like, not everybody gets an opportunity to, 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 to work at a, a small startup as an intern. But you guys don't do games. You got to call up somebody at EA Sports. I know. You know what I'm saying? I know. It's super true. I know. And she's so good at that too. Tell me a little bit about what you guys do. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, the, the the reason for being Sleuth is is meant to be like the best way to accurately track and improve uh, a team's accelerate metrics. And so like at, the, at a very high level that like comes down to deployment tracking uh, and understanding like when you're uh, like making changes. But uh, in order to, to do things like change failure rate uh, and mean time to recovery, uh, we need to understand like, what is a failure? Uh, and for that, we have this idea of like deploy verification. And so the idea is that like, you know, you hook up a bunch of these best of breed observability tools like Datadog or New Relic or AWS CloudWatch. You choose the five to 10 metrics that matter a lot to you and your team. Like the things that you wanna say like, hey, like maybe they're even like things that you would alert on, but like before they get that to that alerting level, right? Like I'm a dev, I make a change. If I like changed like RDS CPU by 10%, did I mean to make that change? Like, or did I make a clumsy error that I didn't realize was going to have that unintended consequence? And so for us, like we want to verify each deploy against these metrics, make it really, really super easy for developers to understand like the key things that they've affected and like let them know in like almost zero time that, hey, this is the impact that you've had so they can turn around and make a fix really quickly rather than have that go into the backlog or, or have that become like the new normal. But when you do that, obviously, like we need to understand what is normal for your database, you know, like in databases swing, uh, you know, so like, do you normally sit at like 25% and sometimes spike up to 35%? And then like, you know, what what is 
alarmingly outside that normal, you know, like, so in that case, like 40% is alarming uh, and something you'd want to know about. Um, but we also don't want to like, you know, yell at you if it's at 35%. Yeah. I remember one of the first times I used new relic, probably like five, six, seven years ago. And it wanted me to enter in all the thresholds. I was like, shouldn't you be smart enough to, <laughs> shouldn't you be, I'm sure they are now. Right. Cause it's been years and years and years, but that was my first like instinct and reaction. And I was like, you should just know this based off of past performance. You have all the performance data. Yeah. It turns out it's a really hard problem. And I, I think the thing that is annoying is that there's probably like a hundred of us all solving it at the same time. It's like, ah, if only there was that library, you know, that did the thing, but it's just a hard problem. How did you even identify this need for sleuth? That's a great question. Um, so I'll, I'll go into the origin story a tiny little bit, but uh, you know, uh, I, I worked at Atlassian for years and years. So like, you know, back in the day, I worked on Jira, um, either hold that against me or, or don't hold that against me. I don't know. It's, it seems like the world is pretty split on that one. And then um, around 2010, Atlassian bought uh, Bitbucket. And, uh, you know, this was about the time where GitHub was sort of becoming really large. Um, I took on engineering for Bitbucket. And when it was really small and there was just like a few of us, it was really easy to keep up. And, uh, you know, we were like pretty early adopters of frequent deploys. You know, it was a SaaS-based product and we were probably deploying like you know, three or four times a week. And, uh, but as the team grew and grew, you know, and we like reached like a million, two million users, it started to be really hard to keep up with what was actually changing. Uh, you know, we were doing deploys and like my higher ups were asking like, Hey, is this new way of working, like working for you? Uh, like, what are you changing? And is it, is it going well? Uh, and then we were generating more and more incidents. And it just struck me that like, I work at the Jira company, right? Like we're doing like very modern agile practices. I'm working on like a premier source code hosting tool and like, you know, code review tool. Uh, but I can't answer like what we're putting out in each deploy because we're not looking at the world from like the deployment view of things. And that's really like, kind of was like the key insight was like, man, we treat like the most important event as this sort of like, uh, insignificant event when really it's the only thing that matters. It's the culmination of all of this work that developers have been putting in. And it's like where quality actually hits customer. Right. And like, there just wasn't tooling that was built to, to sort of like go deploy first and to provide all the tools that you need in order to make that process really smooth um, and to understand end to end, like how it's going. And so, um, you know, over time that just sort of became more and more apparent that like the industry is moving in this direction you know, teams are looking to deploy more frequently. Most teams want to get to about a deployed a day uh, and other teams are like shooting for at least once a week. But like, you know, it's where our industry is moving and there just needs to be tooling that's uh, that's built to support that. And, and that's what Sleuth is for. That's pretty smart because for bringing value to the customers, right? And understanding where your product's currently at, it's super important to know what's in each deploy. And you know, I, I noticed myself, I installed the Circle CI app on my phone. <laughs> I have a very small team. I have like two developers. Yeah. We build a small product. And, but I, I need to know when I go into this customer call, was that thing we talked about that was supposed to go out today? Did that hit? So I go through my Circle CI logs to see if it, you know, succeeded and then passed and everything. Cause I saw it working in development. I just need to know if it hit production yet. And, um, you know, our tooling isn't necessarily designed to, 
to be super readable in that regard. So like, for example, we use, um, we use pivotal tracker. So it's like the story's either delivered or not, you know? And, right. <laughs> and so, uh, it's, I think it's pretty cool that you really opened my eyes. That's why I'm sort of stumbling around my words right now, because you you, you said something in such a calm way. You've probably said it a thousand times, but for me, it like opened up a whole new world where you're right. We sort of treat deployment as the afterthought, like all the work's done deploy. And if you put yep. deployment front and center, it just is, it just opened my mind, man. I'm a little bit at a loss for words. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I mean, I, and look, we're, we're circle users as well. Like uh, I absolutely love that tool, but it's, it's built for a different purpose. You know what I mean? Like when you're trying to figure out like what changed in like your last circle deploy, they don't make your life that easy. You know, like they don't go and link up the issues in Pivotal, right? Like they don't sort of tell you like, you know, exactly who was a part of this change. Like they don't show you like the pull request titles so that you can actually read like the human legible thing of like, oh yeah, this was this or that. And we'll take it a step further. Uh, if you're a team that's using feature out a week ago, and then the question is, is it turned on or not? You know, that's part of change too. So like, I you, you really have this like, in a modern stack, there's a lot of different ways that we deploy. I mean, somebody could have deployed a Terraform change uh, and that would have like, you know, enabled some sort of feature as well. So like, there's a lot of different sources of, of change that will affect like that end thing of like, is this out there or isn't? And, and then the question is also like, is it healthy or not? You know, like, did I make things better or did I make things worse? Yeah, I saw that you had mentioned something I was reading in your like bio or description of the company that you have some sort of like predictive concept is like i can see what will happen if i deploy or there's some sort of tell me tell me about the insights you generate yeah well because we're hooked up to your source systems and because we um we work off of like deployment events we understand the difference between when code is hit the deployable sort of like branch uh and when it's actually been deployed so uh, like, you know, because we can hook into GitHub and we get like all these events that say, Hey, like this pull request was merged. Uh, we can show you, we, we know like, okay, the last thing that you deployed was X, like your branch is ahead of X by a certain amount. So we can show you, Hey, this is what is going to be deployed. And then we can kind of kick in and like, we link up like basically everything. Like we link up like, you know, your Jira or your Pivotal and, uh, you know, to your build systems and to, um, you know, all different tooling to, to sort of build this deploy view to say like, here are the issues that are going to ship in your next deploy here, are like, you know, the, the different things that are going to go out um, as part of that. So that that's one thing that we do in terms of just like previewing what's up and coming next. And also I think what, what becomes interesting is uh, most folks uh, as they start to scale have a lot of different environments. So like, uh, you know, you have obviously your production environment, maybe you even have multiple production environments but then you have a bunch of pre-production environments, you know, and understanding how change is making its way through those different environments, um, that can be kind of complicated and, and interesting and useful, right? Like uh, customers that we have that are at scale, one of the biggest things that they run into is issues around like environment drift. And that keeps them from like moving things forward, right? And moving things forward at a faster pace. So like, uh, you know, if they basically have like, four regions of deploys and those things have drifted that's where like it can be a really um a, a a painful area for them where they're like we spend too much time making sure that these things are in sync and understanding if they are so that we can make the next change roll out and, and be confident that like it's rolled out to every place so you know previewing those changes and understanding 
how they're hitting the different environments is also something that uh, it can be quite powerful. How are you getting customers? Are you like B2B strategy? Are you let's give it free to the developer so they go and end up you know, telling their managers that they need it? How are you approaching the market? It's a good question. I mean, I think if you'd asked us nine months ago versus ask us today, the answer is probably a little different because uh, we're a startup. Share, share the learning. I want to know how, what were you doing nine months ago? What are you doing today? What did you learn along the way? Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, you know, so we're targeting two different kind of personas, right? Like, uh, like the accelerate metrics and stuff. I mean, that's super important at a team level. Uh, and it tends to be like either your frontline manager or the person up above that, uh, who's really interested in that information. Cause they want to keep the code flowing. They want to keep the team moving and everything being healthy. Right. Um, but developers don't like to be watched. They don't like to be spied on. There's like a trust that like exists between developer and manager. And, uh, you know, if you're at a healthy company, maybe there's not a lot of tension with that trust, but there's a lot of companies out there, unfortunately, that aren't super healthy. Uh, and so there, there tends to be a little bit of mistrust, I think, around like uh, metrics uh, and tracking. And I, I think the way that you get around that is that you only surface things at the team level and then also you provide really useful tools for developers. So, uh, you know, a developer is going to use GitHub and uh, pull requests because it's an amazing tool that makes their life better every day. Now, if GitHub can give you information based on that usage pattern, that's great. And so this is a similar thing that we do with Sleuth is we need to be providing tools that are useful for developers like, you know, Slack-based approvals or like the ability to lock deploys or uh, previewing you know, like the changes that you're making or like Slack notifications that tell you when your code is shipped. Like these are things that make developers' lives easier and they're like happy to use. And then like through those sorts of events, we can surface the higher level metrics that like engineering leaders are interested in so that they can make sure that their team is flowing and, and sort of keep improving. And so there's a little bit of this dynamic of like, who do you sell to, right? And I think in nine months ago, we were thinking like, maybe we sell to the developers, right? Like we were building out the, the tools to improve much more so than we were building out the, um, the sort of metric stuff. But, um, you know, in building a deployment tracker, we, we kind of built like a premier accelerate metrics uh, investigation tool as well. Uh, and so we, we did find that a lot of our conversations were happening with engineering leaders uh, and like they were just like at scale, they were having uh, a, a harder time figuring out how to take, you know, a unified approach to how to surface these metrics for like different teams with inside their organization. Uh, but then they're always really interested in that, like, but like how will my developers use this and, and what can we do to improve these metrics as well? So now we're targeting more sort of that like engineering leader with the accelerate metrics. Um, but again, they need to have the promise that uh, developers are going to be able to use the tool as well. How do I see the metrics? Like where do you have, uh, like, can I see them on a website sample? I, I know we have a lot of technology leaders <laughs> that listen to the show, right? And they're, yeah. they're having these problems every day, right? Like how do we communicate with our executive peers on what's going on across the engineering org? Even, even if you only have like five, 10 engineers all the way up to thousands, like you have this need, it happens in your everyday life. And so you have me on the edge of my seat. I'm interested. I want to see the uh, metrics, uh, do you have this on your website? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, one nice thing about developing a developer tool is uh, we get to be the best customer of Sleuth. 
Um, you know, and we, we sort of say that all the time. I'm like, look, if we're not the very best customer of Sleuth, then we're doing something very, very wrong. And so what we do is we, we, we Sleuth and Sleuth, uh, and then we just leave that as an open demo. Uh, and the rule is like, try not to say anything overly profane in your commit messages and your pull requests, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, we don't have anything to hide. So yeah, but there, uh, there's a link on the, the main website, which shows you sort of gets you to see like what we mean when we show these accelerate metrics, how we surface them, how you can drill in, because uh, at the end of the day, it's awesome to like see the metric. It's much more awesome to understand what has gone into making that and understand like when you see something that has like a high change lead time and it's anomalous to the rest of your things, you really want to like be able to drill in almost instantaneously and be like, oh, that makes sense. That was that spike that we started like four months ago and we knew that it was taking a long time. And so this is not something we should worry about. But maybe, you know, you see like three or four and you say, you know what, this was a new person who started. They seem to be getting stuck in review a lot. Like maybe in the next retro, we need to like figure out like, we probably haven't been clear about like, what are the architectural norms that we want people to conform to? Like maybe this is a problem with my team and onboarding, you know? Uh, and then you can sort of like try and address that. I like it. I like it. I'm excited about it. Is there a, like a, like a trial, a demo, or do I just talk to your sales team? How does, how do you take a next step? I mean, we came from, uh, the, the three co-founders of uh, Sleuth all came from Atlassian. So, uh, we're big fans of the sort of self-service mode. Um, so you can absolutely just sign straight up. Uh, you know, there's a 30 day trial you can, you know, uh, use all the things, uh, in your 30 day period, but, you know, obviously like we're willing to talk to, to anybody. So like, uh, it's easy enough to just contact us and we'll jump on a call and help with onboarding and, and all of that sort of stuff as well. So we're catered to the, uh, the, the bigger folks who definitely need to talk a lot more before we jump in and actually do a thing. And, and then we try and just make it as smooth as butter to, uh, to onboard. I love it. I love it. I got to talk to a few people, uh, over at Atlassian before, and it seemed like they had a really, really great culture. Did that sort of come over because you were all working at Atlassian? I mean, absolutely. Honestly, like, so, uh, I, I was really fortunate. I was like, uh, the 20th employee at Atlassian, like when it was like a little startup and, uh, I will give Scott and Mike, the, the founders of Atlassian, all the credit in the world over and over and over again. Like I still, it boggles my mind how we kept the culture that we had at 20 and that pervaded all the way through up to the, I feel like they're at like 5,000 or something like that now. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes such a huge difference. And I think it has left like a huge stamp on myself and my two co-founders, you know, just in terms of like, uh, the openness that we sort of approach, like we're very open internally with like financials and like where we are at with sales and, you know, with what's going on, like, uh, and just, you know, the way that we try and work together, the, the sort of like, you know, approach that we take to working, I'd say like a lot of these things are lessons that we kind of learned over time at Atlassian, uh, and are trying to emulate ourselves. That's exciting. Yeah. That's culture is such an important thing. It's because you, know, you, you get to do your craft and you get to do your work, but it definitely matters about the environment and the people around you and the relationships you're, you're building while you're doing that work as well, because relationships are everything, man. Like I got connected to you through John. Uh, over at yeah. launch darkly. Right. And he's, I, I have come to learn you guys are like good friends. I thought I, at first I thought it was just like, you might know each other or like the PR people might know each other. But then I heard yeah. that, that you and John are pretty close. Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you say, relationships are everything. 
you know, so when I, I, I had moved from uh, Sydney uh, at Atlassian over to San Francisco and like basically he was the other engineering leader in San Francisco uh, and he was working on the marketplace team. And funny enough, like uh, I worked on his team for like my first two months in San Francisco. Uh, they were very functional. I'm not very functional. So him and I were like a little like whatever, but uh, you know, uh, then Bitbucket showed up and I was working on that team. And um, yeah, we just, I mean, we spent like a number of years in the same office, sort of being like the engineering leaders in that office obviously had like similar problems um, and just became very friendly there. And then when he jumped for launch darkly, you know, like we just kept up and like, you know, he has been uh, amazing and such an amazing resource. And he's just a, a kind and generous person as well. Like he's been kind and generous with his experience and his time. Uh, you know, it, it was great for me, like uh, leading up to taking the leap for a startup to just have watched him and launch darkly go through that process, you know, and, like really getting an insight into like the angst and the sort of anxiety that comes with building a company over time, you know, and like, you know, he was always very open and sharing with that. And then honestly, also one of the biggest sleuth champions. So right out the gate, he kind of understood the vision. He understood like why it was important. Very early on, LaunchDarkly was using sleuth uh, in, a, in a former incarnation, uh, went through like a little phase where we, it got like shut down and then brought back up to life. Uh, and then was immediately a customer again. And LaunchDarkly has been like a huge, huge, I guess, champion for, for Sleuth usage. And I mean, for us, it's there's a wonderful overlap too. We, we sell to the same audience. We kind of have the same high-level goal, right? Which is to help people deploy safer code faster. Um, you know, and they're doing it through feature flagging and uh, all of the like complicated things around that. We're trying to sort of do it on the other end of that pipeline where we're saying like, let's help with your deployment process and like understanding like the impact of your deploys. But, you know, one of the very first features that we built was like an integration with LaunchDarkly because like I'd said before, I can mess up the site just as easily by toggling a feature flag as I can by shipping code, right? Uh, and so if we're going to alert your developers to whether you've like affected the health negatively or not, like we kind of have to have that in there for that complete story. That is so cool. You answered like yeah. all my questions in that response. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I monologue. Like I have, I've been trying so hard uh, since I've started this loop journey to cut down my monologuing, like, you know, in sales calls and sales demos, talking to investors. Like I, I just don't seem to be able to get past it. I, I just like, I could be a great like uh, arch nemesis for somebody because I could just like monologue, you know, and like feel like, ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, it's important uh, to have a high capacity, like linguistically, like to be able to speak well is important in leadership, right? It means you've got some some neurons firing up there, and right. uh, for you to be able, like, I get it too. You know, that's why we have this show. I was like, let's make it an hour. And let's let like the it's like a monologue or competition. There's this one episode. Right. <laughs> Editing team can choose if they want to keep this comment in or not. <laughs> There's this one episode where there was like I said the intro and then the the guy talked for one hour straight. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. I know, I know it was okay. hilarious. That's amazing. So the, the Slack uh in the in the uh Slack um you know, we have a production channel, right? Where all the audio engineers are and they screenshot the voice spikes when it was in post-production. 
because <laughs> it was like Joel Nunn and it was, uh, it was kind of fun, but man, I, I love the monologuing. That's what we're here for. Come on and, and share your, see, now I'm going to start asking you about leadership. Do you have any uh, <laughs> thoughts, like favorite uh, leadership books that you've read or any lessons that have been very impactful to you? Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, Rand's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, Michael Lopp. You know, like I think basically like every blog he writes, I, I always read that and go like, yeah, that that checks out. That seems right. Um, you know, he just has like a really thoughtful approach to leadership and uh, inclusive, you know. And uh, so I think that's been really influential. I mean, Have probably you just to hang out a with him of, before. I haven't actually. I did meet him once or twice. I think he talked at some Atlassian thing uh, and I got to say hi. I think I looked at maybe working at Slack at some point when I think he was their, their engineering head or something, but I don't think I actually met him. seems like a cool guy though. Yeah, no, he inspired me to upgrade my camera. So (laughs) I did an interview with him, I think, I don't know, a couple months or a year ago and he joined and he had this like 4k crazy cinema camera and I was blown away. And I told my production team after that call, I was like, let's upgrade the camera and we have a much nicer camera now, but um, Yeah. yeah, he, he was just, you know, five minutes before like I had read Rands for a long time, right? Like I was yeah. very aware of it. If you're a developer and you're not, you should be, right? He writes about mm-hmm. best practices across the board and you know, for years, you know, and and then I had seen Michael Lopp like as an upcoming guest and I was like, oh, that's cool, that's cool. And then like right before I do my prep, before like I interview him, I was blown away. I was that's like, Rands. He's Rands. Oh, I was like, <laughs> like, no way. Yeah. 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 So that was really exciting. So I got really pumped up about it. And I just was like, here's the microphone, say a bunch of good words. And he did. Yeah, no, he's good. He, I mean, he just has a lot of great topics and um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think also like for me, it's just like, I've been fortunate and worked with a lot of great leaders over time and you kind of pick up some of the the good habits and, 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 you know, you, if you're observant, you sort of realize some of the the bad ones that you shouldn't try and emulate, you know? I think for me, like one of the the biggest things has just over time, and this is just in life in general, right? Is like this realization that um, when you communicate to others, you really want to be able to communicate in a way that they're going to hear, you know, and that's not always easy. It requires like understanding who it is that you're talking to, like the the way that you're sort of like having that interaction um, and and being thoughtful enough to to kind of like, you know, say things in a way like, that maybe are a little less direct, but like, again, are going to, are going to be heard. Right. Um, because you want to be hearing the people that are working for you. Hopefully you're hiring like, you know, amazing people. And, you know, we've certainly been lucky and, and have done so. Uh, and so they're just generally going to be like experts in the things that you're trying to do more so than yourself. Uh, but then you want to have that sort of free flowing conversation. And I think, you know, you just want to make sure that you're hearing them and, and that you're sort of being heard and, and, and are able to have that free form, uh, communication back and forth. Yeah. I learned that a lot with my family, like, if, you know, especially my wife, right? Like there are times when I want to give feedback, but I'm like, if I say anything right now, this is just not the time. And then I'll just wait till later and it'll come up and then she'll be open and receptive to it. And, you know, people there's, there's when you want to give the insight, and then there's when the person's willing to receive it. And those are, they never line up at, at in the moment of uh, issuance, like at, at the moment yep. of tension, they're almost never aligned. Right. Yeah. 
I feel like my teenagers have also been like some of my best, uh, like, you know, they, they're the ones who have helped coach me through this, you know, cause you just like say a thing and then they're like, you know, and you're like, Oh man, like that. Okay. Yeah. The timing was terrible on that. Or maybe I was just like, you know, I didn't, I didn't say it in a way that could absorb it. Yeah. Watching the kids grow up is, I've said this a couple of times, but it's like, uh, like watching AI algorithms boot up and like come online and start to gather data. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, it, yeah, when they hit the teenage level, like, I mean, they're basically adults, you know, like with the occasional, like, you know, like they, they dive into this like childish reaction thing and you go like, how is that the case? You know, like, huh, I did not expect, um, you know, that sort of behavior, but for the most part, you're just like interacting with, with adults now. It's kind of great actually. Yeah. Of course. I'm, I'm excited, man. You know, we're, we're getting ready to go on this, uh, 10 week trip around the United States, 7,000 miles. And I've got the, you know, four-year-old and a two and a half year old and then my, and then oh, my man. wife. So, uh, it will be a, an adventure into itself. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. I remember those. That's exciting. Two, two years old is young. Like that's uh they're going to, they're going to, yeah. Challenge you on that trip for a little bit, I think. Well, they they challenge me every day in the house. So, <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, you know this pandemic. I tell you, the folks. I mean, obviously, you've just interacted with a lot of people, but the folks with the young kids. I'm like, you guys deserve an extra medal of like freedom from the president or something like that. Like, just like doing your day job and having the kid just like run in and out, out of frame and like hang on the side of you and stuff. I'm like, yeah, my teenagers. You know, I'm like, I'll be out of the room at six. Like, it's all good. Yeah, easy. Oh yeah. Yep. And uh like my wife, she's on the sales team here. And like my daughter will make guest appearances because some days the kids just don't want to go to school. She'll just be like break down and she just doesn't want to go to her daycare school. And so sometimes she makes guest appearance on sales calls. So hmm. fair. People yeah. are pretty responsive. As long as she's good at the clothes, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I will start teaching her closing lines. These are selling That's lines. Right. These are closing lines. Here's how you go back and forth. How much how much yeah. have you had to learn about sales? So like, you know, my background, 17 years software engineering, then started really getting to, into like it's a very different mindset entrepreneurially from just building large scale applications for people like four or five people that you know like an investor world mm -hmm. and then actually operating a sales org cuz that's like an entirely different beast. How did you learn totally. these skills to to sell? Yeah. Uh, I mean, gosh, I'd like to think that I have, you know, uh, I'll, I'll give credit to, uh, one of my co-founders. Uh, you know, I, I think when you're, when you're starting a startup, finding the right co-founders is like kind of everything, you know, like, it, yeah, it's great to have a good idea and it's great to find something that has market, uh, you know, but maybe if you've got a clever enough team, you're going to make all of that go. Uh, but like, you know, finding these people that are basically like, you know, uh, almost as close as like your significant other, you really got to like uh, love working with these people, know that you work well with them. And so, you know, I was lucky that my co-founders, like I've known them for, you know, almost 15 years uh, and we had worked together uh, at Atlassian and just, we have very varying skill sets. Um, so my COO is kind of running sales and like, he's done the most to like, just really learn how to sell. Um, and, you know, we're fortunate in the sense that um, we have really fairly extensive networks uh, and so we have like great advisors, like John actually is like, uh, you know, one of our sort of engineering oriented advisors. We have a great marketing advisor and we have a great sales advisor as well, who has helped us with sales training and just like understanding the sort of the art of the sale. 
And so I tend to play the, uh, the, the, the SE role, the sales engineer role in, in a lot of our calls. But yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's one of those things I think you mostly learn by doing. Uh, and then you just like read voraciously and like, you know, like do some sales training. And again, like, I guess our advisors honestly have, have been the most helpful. We did some, some like war gaming with like our, our sales advisor. Um, and I, I was like, I'm going to do great. Let me just demo this thing up, you know, like, here we go. And he just tore me apart, you know? And I was like, everything he said, I'm like, oh yeah, no, I can totally see how that was. Yeah. I could, I could have probably done that differently. So, you know, those sorts of things. And then just repetition, you know, you start to like look at the faces in these sales calls and you can see when you're getting like the blank stare or where you're getting the like, Ooh, oh my gosh. Like, you know, like, yeah, that's it. And you're like, I'm going to do that again. Like those words worked really well, you know? Yes. You're sound coachable. That's like super important, right? Right. I mean, I think that's a, I, I, I would hope any leaders that I've worked with in the past have, uh, that's been a huge attribute is coachability, right? You just want to know, like, are you confident in the things that you should be confident in or, and are you coachable in the things that like you, you also should be, you know, I recognize coming from an engineering background that I don't know anything about sales, you know? I mean, now you know some, yeah. That's good though, that you were coachable and now you've learned and now the business is growing, right? You guys are gaining traction in the marketplace. Tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. You know, it's good fun. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting to see like, you know, where we grow. uh, And uh, I think, you know, that's another thing that you learn is like, it's, it's a long process to get in at like, you know, one of these very, very large names, uh, you know, and they just have like so many, you know, things internally that are very unique to them, uh, you know, but then like you kind of find like your sweet spot, you know, maybe it's like, you know, like companies of like 500 or, or you know, like 300 or that sort of thing. And uh, I mean, as, as the customer base grows, it's just a, a wonderful avenue for uh, learning with the product. You know, like, I think that's one of the things that I've found most interesting about the growth phase is that you start with this kind of vision where you're building the thing that you think would be great you know, and then at some point you realize like you're, you're kind of just building like things that like, you know, some people did find certain parts of it great. And now you're just like focusing a lot on those, you know, where you're just getting very real world feedback about how to like make that like even more potent. And so I I think that can be like a really exciting uh, part of growth. You know, it's like almost making the product honest, right? Do you find a specific, and by the way, I I love your responses to this because you know, my company is small, but we are going through these things. Right. And so, yeah. like, yep. As, as you're talking, I'm like, yep, I remember we did that. And I'm waiting to get to the thing that I'm like, <laughs> I didn't know that. So I'm excited, but I'm curious. We found, uh, we, you mentioned like the sweet spot of the market. And that was actually mm. something because when we started deploying, you know, marketing and ads, we we're, were kind of like all over the board. We had a couple guesses of different personas that were loosely drawn that might be interested in what we're doing or have the problem. Right. And we started hitting them. And then what we found out is, and we saw leadership training. It's like leadership training for a technologist. And what we found is that people don't like, if, it, if they have under a hundred people, it's like a luxury, something they might do because they really like right. leadership trainer. But once they start hitting like a hundred, 125 people, their employees start asking for it. And Mm -hmm. so we're like, oh, sweet. So we just narrowed all of our marketing down to like, you know, 100, like starting at like 100 to 300 or 100 to 500. And then we noticed like by the time they get to like four or 500, they definitely have 
like some employee at the company who's got either fully dedicated or like at least 25% of their role is buying, selling like leadership development type tools. So we were, we're like, let's get in there before that person gets in there, <laughs> right? Like let's yeah. be the product they know before they have someone come in and bring the other products they know, and then we'll grow that way. So we found that like 100 to like 400 ish is the areas we target for marketing. Um, and it's not to say that like other areas wouldn't work or that there's not other variations yep. of our product up. We like have this random like fortune 50 client because they said we can use it for this, but I didn't have enough resources to like actually pursue that as a line of business. Cause you can, yeah. you know, you're constrained to what you're able to do. So I'm like, thank you so much for buying. <laughs> I'm so glad this is useful to you in that regard, but I can't drop everything. Cause we have a little fire over here and we just need to stoke that fire and turn it into like crazy fire. Like we need to make a hundred times bigger. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, I think what you just said is really interesting and it's something that we run into too, uh, which is, uh, I mean, for Sleuth, you know, I, I have always said this right from the start is like, if you're a, te- if you're a team like under 10 people, you can kind of look each other in the eye and be like, did you deploy that thing? Yeah, I deployed that thing, right? You're like, cool, done, right? Like, so there's not a lot of like confusion. We do have some folks that are sort of small like that, uh, but they tend to be like, super forward looking, right? Like they're like, they're interested in being like best practice from the start because they have their eye on growth and they're like, I want to put in a solid base so that we can accelerate this thing up to like, you know, 200 developers or a thousand developers or that sort of thing. Um, but the larger the dev team gets, the, the more like it just becomes the wild west. Right. And you like, you run into these companies that have like, you know, 2000 developers and they're like, I don't know what's happening. Right. Like we've got a lot of change and I don't know, like some teams are good at it. Some teams are bad at it. Like we really have no idea, but uh, it it starts to become an issue. Like I think like once you get past that two pizza team size, uh, you know, so like that sort of like 30 to 40 developers is when it really starts to like show up for us. Uh, And those are really easy teams with us to, for us to get in with because like they don't have necessarily SOC 2. They don't have like firewalled off their like source code. They don't have like, you know, like a, a team of lawyers that are like, wait a second, like check this thing, check that thing, you know, uh, so they can adopt and they can try like really, really easily. And then honestly, like these these teams of like 2000 or whatever, they kind of needed this tool even more so. But then because of their size and because of that variation inside, it's probably like your Fortune 50 customer where you're just like, you're, you're a, a lot of work, you know? Uh, you're like, I'm not sure that like doing all that work just like right now makes the most sense, you know, and they have these like weird edge case things where they're like, you know, uh, oh, we actually generate these artifacts and, you know, like deploy them to, you know, Australia and whatever. And like, it just has to be done that way. It's been done that way for 10 years. And you're like, okay, why? And they're like, I don't know. Nobody knows why. Like, it's just how it is, you know? And they're like, but can you model it? And you're like, Ah, I don't know. (laughs) Right, right after I went through that integration, it's like we got the sale or like we thought we got the sale, like we're like, we got it. And then it was like six plus months of back and forth of like to get into it. And then I realized after I said, you know what? This makes so much sense now. Why people charge so much more more money to enterprises? Why it costs more? Because mm. I always would think about that. I'd always see them on the site. Like, why do we always have to call for a quote on the enterprise, <laughs> right? Or why is if they do show the enterprise pricing, it's significantly more? And like for single sign on. Uh, so I always thought, and then I right. realized after I went through it, I was like, I just spent essentially 
the entire amount of money I made just to walk through this process over six months. And so I would need to charge them double for me to like make money. And that's exactly uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I think it's a universal issue, right? Like, and um, this this is another place where like, you know, Kodamal was uh, amazing for us because you know, they're, they're a good five years ahead of us. uh, And, you know, like they can just say like, look, those people right there, like they're going to chew up all of your time, you know? Yeah. And, and I think the thing that is like the, the weirdest, weirdest thing is, uh, and I don't know if you've run into this where you start to wonder, like, is this a fireable customer? Oh yeah. We've had to fire customers before. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like the weirdest, especially when it's like a very, like, it's a brand that like anybody on this podcast would totally know. Right. And you're just like, in your brain, you're like, no, that, that would be an amazing customer to have. We should super have them. And then, you know, you get like two or three meetings into it and you're thinking, I think it might not be worth having this customer. <laughs> like, I don't think right now is the time, you know, like they're, they're, they're a fireable customer, you know, for some reason or another. And like, it's just, my brain still hasn't gotten around how that works, you know? Cause like uh, the, the naive side of me is like, but you want that logo. Like you should do anything in the world for that logo, you know? Uh, and then my more rational sort of CEO side is like, there's a lot of fish in the sea. I don't know. For us, it was, um, we got really good at identifying them to stop them from even becoming a customer, right? We're like, all right, these are the right. attributes. If we looked back, you know, annually we review, or I think we actually do it quarterly, but we look at all of our customers, we figure out who our best customers are and what similar attributes they have and how can we just get more of those? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and in that, we noticed that the customers who pay the least are the most difficult. <laughs> and so we're like, all right, well, there you go. And so let's, and then we figured out a couple other things like um, just personality styles when going through our sales process. And so we essentially have these red flags that happen. Mm. Right. And, and we just will tell them up front, you know, that we don't think it's a good fit, you know, and that's just what we have to do. And in the, the way we got the, um, the certainty to do that, the way we got the confidence to do that is because we did take the not great ones for a while. And every single time it was so much stress on the team and it was so much anxiety and so much time away from the customers who are awesome that, Mm -hmm. you know, it was hard for me to tell a salesperson who's like new and trying to build their ramp that like when this occurs, don't take it. And every once in a while I let them take it. Because you kind of have to, you get that as a parent, right? Yep. Every once in a while, you kind of just kind of like, let them, let them go mess up. And I think there's like, you know, there is always that little like hope where you're just like, maybe this one will be different, you know? But yeah, I mean, we're in a similar spot where I think we've, and I mean, it's, it, you, you, I'm sure you've seen the same thing as a startup. Like you kind of mature your different functions as you need to, you know, like just in time maturation of like all the different functions. And so, you know, um, our, our sales function has been maturing over the last like six to nine months and we've gotten a lot better at like, you know, and, and the same with our marketing function. And so we've gotten a lot better at like targeting the folks that do work for us, you know, and then like understanding like how to sell to those folks. And so similarly, like our pipeline is much more full of the people that kind of fit for us and that will be uh, less of a hard, you know, sort of like process. Um, but then, you know, I guess, fortunately we still have some of these other ones that sort of show in via like outbound or like, you know, just sort of like connections and that sort of stuff. Yeah. I still struggle a little with the whole idea of firing some of these. I'm like, Hmm, maybe, maybe just maybe. Yeah. It's, it's, um, 
everyone's got to, you just go on your journey, right? And you might learn something mm -hmm. new along the way. And it's just, you know, being open and walking the process. You know, I've, I've so many people, like when I'm out doing public talks and whatnot, they'll ask me for like secrets or like, what's the thing? And, and I'm like, there's really no replacement for just raw experience. Like there are some things, mm -hmm. you know, Elon Musk says starting a company is like, uh, eating glass and staring into the abyss. And I was like, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's so true. I remember, um, uh, I remember like, you know, for me, like when I was like catching up with Kodamal, uh, like his journey with launch darkly went very quickly for me because it wasn't my primary thing, you know? And I remember like meeting with him and him being like, product market fit is like the hardest thing ever. It like makes you want to like basically like die every day and whatever. And then like we met again, like four months later and he was like, yeah, it's like rough. But like in my brain, I was just like watching like success, like go up this ramp, you know? And I remember like him saying something, I think he might've even said this on your podcast before where he was like, if this thing didn't work out, I don't know what I'd do next, you know, because uh, going through product market fit is really, really rough. And I remember like thinking like, oh, come on, it wasn't that rough for you guys, you know? Uh, but now I have a whole, whole nother uh, sense of empathy, right? Like having gone through it myself, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like that's like an, like an angsty period, you know, it is like, it's rough, you know, like even when it's, when you look at the curve, like, and you zoom out and you're like, things are going great. You know, you're just like, oh God, like the, it being in the curve, it's a different kind of feeling. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. What mm. do you, so you, you shared a few like communication lessons. You mentioned that there is a couple behaviors that you want to like avoid. Do you want to talk any more about that or share any more good leadership insight? Cause a lot of the people here that are listening, they're like, you know, tech leaders, some of them are first time leaders. Um, and they're, they're, they're like looking up to you, Dylan. They're like, teach us, like, teach us how to be a great leader. Sh share us some insight. Yeah. I, I suppose the things that, uh, there's some North stars for me. You know, and um, I, I always feel like I, the idea is that I'm hiring amazing people, so I need to trust them. Uh, I need to empower those people, you know, like give ownership. Uh, I, I forgot what, there's some book that talked about like uh, giving away your Legos or, or giving away your toys, you know, like uh, I'm a giant fan of giving away toys, uh, you know, and um, and then just being really cognizant of like the um, the things that you need as an individual to feel comfortable about doing that. Right. So like, what kind of reporting do you need at what sort of cadence, you know, and like, how does that interaction work? Like, how do you trust and then have those moments of verification, uh, you know, and, and I think that's like kind of the only way you're going to scale, but it, it does take a lot to give away some of these toys, you know, especially in a, in a high growth sort of startup, you know, like one day you'll be, you are doing the marketing function and then like you're giving away the marketing function, but Again, I guess if you're hiring the right people, it feels amazing, right? You're just like, oh my God, I was doing such a terrible job of that, you know, like, and now there's a professional doing it. Like, this is wonderful. Like, you know, I get to like, uh, and as long as I'm getting like the information that I kind of need to, to feel comfortable, like suddenly I feel like I have like, you know, a fifth arm or something or wait, how many arms? Two arms, three arms, third arm. A fifth arm. You're an alien. A fifth arm. Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of functions. You got to give away a lot of toys. You know, you get like extra arms all the time. You're just adding them uh, to your person. <laughs> I get what you mean, man, because I've handed it off unsuccessfully and handed it off successfully. Yeah. And when you get that magic person, I call them magic people. When you get that magic person that, you know, I'm always, 
like on edge when I make the hire, like for how they're going to mm. perform in the first couple of days, because I have just found through hiring, like adding and removing, you know, 50, 60 plus people to teams in, in, in the past couple of years, there's, there's like two or three types of people. There's the type of person that's just going to crush it. Like they're going to be the fifth arm, as you said, <laughs> which I love that's, that's the title of your book, the fifth arm, yeah. they're going to be the fifth arm. Then there's the person who is going to turn around, be hired and ask, all right, what do I do now? It's like, what? That's, oh, that's yeah. the worst. <laughs> I know. Right. And you're like, uh Oh, yeah, that is the worst. I mean, I guess the other thing like around leadership as well is just um, set expectations. You know what I mean? So like, uh, and be clear about it. You know, like I, 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 one thing I absolutely despise is uh, when somebody has expectations, they don't, they aren't clear about those expectations, right? They also haven't made space for the individual to be successful in and amongst those expectations, right? And then they're, they're upset. And I'm like, well, whose fault is that? Is that the individual's fault or is that yours? I, I feel like it's very clearly yours, you know, like set your expectations and then be cognizant that you need to give the individual space in order to achieve those things, right? Like don't load them up with 1500 things and then be mad that they didn't get to the one that you thought was important, you know, be, be clear. Yes. So, you know, that guy that you hired that needs to know what to do, as long as you told him, this is a job where I'm going to tell you what I need you to do, right? And then I, here's the list in priority order. Maybe they're an okay hire, you know, but at, at the same time, it's lovely when you get the person who's like, I've got this, stand back. Like, it's cool. Yeah, that's the the third person is the person who says, I've got this, but they, they don't have it. Oh, and then they don't. Oh, that's... <laughs> oh. Well, that's yeah. the verification part, right? Where yep. you're just like, hey, that's cool. You got this like right on, like, just make sure I know this, this, and this, of this sort of cadence. And then you're starting to be like, I need to remind you about this, this, and this, uh, because we've hit that cadence and I am not seeing any of this. And then, you're supposed then to be better than me. That's like the thing. I'm like, you're supposed to be better than yes. me. <laughs> that's like the prerequisite. Yeah. Dylan, how do we learn more? I want to learn more about Sleuth. What do we do? You just come to our website and uh, you ask for a demo and we'll get back to you, you know, in a couple of hours uh, and we'll absolutely jump on a call with you. And uh, I'm sure we can make anybody successful with Sleuth uh, and help your teams get better at Accelerate. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.